Hi again, everybody. Welcome into another Vigilant Sports Pacers podcast. I'm Scott Agnes. Today's episode a little bit different than the norm. We're going to focus on scouting and an opportunity for those looking to perhaps work in a front office, especially with a scouting emphasis. What is it like to be a scout? What type of things do you have to give up in life in order to achieve that dream? We'll talk about that and more with Pete Philo, who's been in the NBA for more than a decade in three different front offices. After playing overseas, he joined the Dallas Mavericks in their scouting department. Then he moved on to Minnesota, where he was the director of scouting and player personnel for eight seasons from 2005 to 2013. After being let go by that group because of a change in management and coaching staff, Larry Bird and the Indiana Pacers brought Pete on for the last three years. Now he's no longer with the team. He's putting all his focus and efforts on the TPG Sports Group, which you'll hear us discuss. Well, it also gives him time to, you know, live life a little bit after racking up millions of airline miles going from the United States to Europe and several other continents, I'm sure. If you haven't already, subscribe to the Vigilant Sports Pacers podcast on iTunes and on Stitcher. You know the drill. Search Vigilant Sports Pacers Podcast on iTunes, click on it, then hit subscribe, and bam, you'll be the first to know when the latest episode is posted. Let's get into it. All right, on today's Vigilant Sports Pacers Podcast, I'm pleased to be joined by Pete Philo, a 14-year NBA exec and scout for numerous franchises, the Dallas Mavericks, Minnesota Timberwolves, and most recently, the Director of International Scouting for the Indiana Pacers. Pete played at Manhattan College, then the University of South Alabama went on to have a pro career overseas and now is one of the go-to guys when it comes to scouting overseas. Uh, And he's now also the owner and president of TPG Sports Group. Pete, thanks for uh, coming on the podcast here today. Hey, Scott. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. With so much going on right now in the NBA focused on scouting and player evaluation, about a month out from the NBA draft, I thought it'd be great to have you on to add your perspective on all that, plus a neat deal you have going on for those aspiring to work in an NBA front office. But first, let's talk a little bit about you. Before beginning your professional career as a scout, you were a point guard overseas, but only for six years. Did you have enough of the game at that point? Did injuries play a factor? How ultimately did it end for you, Pete? Well, my my body was just beat up. I was getting old. So, uh, you know, there's a, a shelf life over there, so to speak, you know. And then at some point you have to make a decision uh to do something with your career, you know, I, I wasn't at a level where I could play uh, for a lot of money or have a, a long career financially and uh, and health wise. So I, I, you know, I every every summer uh, I, w- I was coming back home to different parts of the country, New York, Dallas, and I was just trying to work out and play ball and uh, meet as many people as I could. And I was I was fortunate enough to to meet Donnie Nelson and uh, the folks down at the Mavs. And, um, you know, Donnie and I developed a, a relationship, and then he, he gave me an opportunity. You know, uh, I was winding down my pro career overseas, and I, and I told him, uh, I said, Donnie, I, I don't know how much time I have left over there, but uh, then I asked him, I said, I'd love to have an opportunity one time, whatever it is. I just I know how hard it is to break into this business. Um, and anything you have, if you don't have anything, then I understand that as well. And then I was lucky. You know, timing timing is important in life, and uh, I was able to, to land a 
kind of a part-time uh, international scouting spot with Dallas, and then um, and then I grew from there. You started as an international scout, and then did that kind of just become your niche and you grew out of that, or was that always something you, you kind of wanted to do, is stay overseas and travel the word world, but also remain in, in basketball? Well, Scott, you know, it's, it's not something that you, you do forever uh, in terms of just the international. I wanted to evolve into doing a little bit of both, you know, domestic scouting on the college and pro side, and as well as continue to uh, do the international thing. Now, of course, with the international thing, it, it helped because it just had so many relationships. One from playing over there, and while I played, I was a little bit of a forward thinker, always tried to run different events and do different things over there. And then um, simultaneously with the Dallas Mavericks opportunity, Reebok was looking for someone to um, identify talent uh, and endorse them before their competitors, you know, Nike and Adidas and Under Armour and those those folks. And uh, and then they, they gave me a, a platform to, to start the Eurocamp and you know, I was obviously around great people with Donnie Nelson and, at the time, Kiki Vandeway, uh, Maurizio Giardini, and um, Reebok funded the, the project and put their brand on it and, and let us run with it. And, and it turned out to be a heck of a nine years. You know, we had 82, I believe, 82, 83 players drafted in the NBA in nine years of running the Euro Camp, which is essentially the international pre-draft camp. And... Um, so for, for me being over there scouting, you know, it just helped and it, you don't ever really get away from it to give you a direct answer. You don't ever get away from it because of those relationships and, and how efficient it is to scout over there for myself and others that have those international relationships. Cause that's what you need to scout internationally. You can't just drop off a plane in Munich and <laughs> jump around Europe and, Hope you find the right guys. You know, it's all relationship based. What would a, a week be like for you? Would you hit four or five different countries? Would you center on one guy? Or maybe it's different each week. It is, but uh, a, a typical, let's say, a typical fifteen day trip would be most likely ten to twelve countries uh, in that fifteen days, and you, you have to maximize your coverage. You know, and I never lived over there other than when I played. I always lived. Here in the states, which to me it was there's pros and cons to it, but uh, yeah, of course, my last few years with Indiana, I was lucky to have uh, Alexander Pajevich, who's based in Serbia, does a really good job, and uh, so I didn't have to be over there as much. But prior to that, with Dallas and Minnesota, uh, I was over there quite a bit, um, but still watching watching a lot of college, and so it, it helped. But typical typical week, Scott, is, is getting over there and, and uh, bouncing around. You want to maximize. You want to see games. You want to see practices. You want to set up meetings with agents and, and GMs and coaches, and information flow is really important. And then the other, the other component that is really, really important is, is uh, you know, knowing what their contract situation is like because in Europe they're professionals versus in college they're not, and you don't really need to <coughs> find out their contractual situations. Well, in Europe you need to do that, and in order to do that you want to have the right relationships because bottom line is uh, these these European clubs, they have those players as assets. And the buy and sell game over there is real, and so, you know, they they buy a player and they sell them for for hire <laughs> that's just how it goes over there and it's it's legal you know that's how the contracts are set up with buyout clauses and 
so for me, I, that, was, that was an important piece to have those relationships in place with agents and GMs so I could get that information pretty quickly. In the NBA world, more than than most, it's just such a relationship business, whether it's scouting and, like you said, your connection with agents and ownership groups maybe over there, and then you come back overseas, and it's the coaching community. All the coaches seem to know each other, and that's one thing, obviously, you're good at is building those relationships that have made you so successful. Yeah, it's 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 something that I think is important. I obviously had good mentors along the way that, reinforce that for me all the way through. Who have been some of your best mentors? Well, you know, early on, uh, some guys that you just wouldn't know. (laughs) Some basketball uh, friends of my brothers that were uh, uh, smart guys that were very helpful. And then then when I segued into my professional career, uh, Donnie Nelson, um, you know, was very influential. Tom Shine, who... uh, was the uh, senior vice president yeah. of Reebok and right here in Indy? Yeah, Indy guy. Yeah, <laughs> sure is. He's a good man. And then, uh, and you know, Kevin Pritchard has been very, very influential for me and uh, helped helped me a lot in, in many ways. You know, Kevin's just a smart guy and uh, smart in business. He's a gifted person uh, on many levels, and uh, you guys got a, a great one up there. Before we move on a little further, I got to ask if you have any Mark Cuban stories that you can share from your time down in Dallas. <laughs> well, he's passionate. You know, uh, the one thing you got to love about Mark is that he brings that spice to the game. He, he's he's uh, he's you know he's like a magnet. You know, you, you're just you're drawn to him, and you watch him. You watch him on the sideline, and so I don't have any. Specific stories uh, that I, that I could share, really, but um, he's great for the NBA. You know, I know he he's done different things that maybe people have questioned or whatever, but I, I think ultimately everything's really positive with Mark. And of course, I love uh, love love what he's doing in the entrepreneurial world too. I I, uh, I watch him very closely. Shark Tank is tremendous, and you got a kind of a spinoff that maybe we can even get into with the, the sports tank. But one thing you, you've gotten heavily involved with, especially the last four or five years, is the TPG Sports Group, where you're the owner and the president. From that, you've created the Pro Scout School, and I believe this upcoming summer will be the third annual Scout School. It's in Vegas, July 11th through the 13th, perfectly overlapping with when the NBA world is there over Summer League. Talk, if you would, a little bit about what you're trying to provide for aspiring talent. Sure. Well, we started the, the, the process with, you know, when we're on the road scouting, we, we often get the same question from either uh, fans or just people that are sitting around us in the arenas and noticing what we're doing and oh, how, do, how do you evaluate, what are you looking for exactly and then the second is how did you get in like how did you become a scout and a lot of times it's luck or it's relationship based, I mean I don't, I don't know how many scouts got in through uh, just having a, a great eye and being able to prove that to a GM it's difficult you know and so um, when we started the, the pro scout school we wanted to we wanted to start to to teach you know to to basically teach people how to evaluate whether it's high school coaches college coaches it can help them in every level because we in the NBA we do things a little differently you know it's a it's a really deep dive into into a player and all the characteristics that translate now of course the NBA is a little different because our rules are different so what translates from college to pro could, is probably different than what translates from high school to college however. 
A lot of the things are, are similar in terms of what you can be looking for and how, and how your eye starts to become developed. And, and from there, uh, you know, for those that want to get in the league or that's their dream or passion to try to become an NBA scout, we educate them on that process as well. So, uh, you know, obviously it's very much relationship-based, and we do as mm-hmm. much as we can with uh, our socials and, um, you know, private uh, private experiences, and then our breakout rooms have become really popular. Uh, each year we give a questionnaire to all the attendees, and, we basically ask ask them what they what they like what they don't like because we always want to improve, and uh, the breakout rooms have become very popular. And it's just a basically day two where we can get in more intimate and have smaller groups, and we can get more Q and A going. And uh, and and you know you'd be surprised how how relationships are built when someone asks a question. You know you start talking about something and then you see them later and you get into a further discussion. And I've I've hired two people for TPG out of Scout School just from uh, meeting them and and feeling comfortable and getting to know them better. Sounds like you're yeah it's a, the best of both worlds when it comes to learning uh, the breakdown of how you scout the notes you're taking uh, what you're seeing out on the floor and then the networking aspect which is just as important. Well, there's no question, and and it, what's great is you know the great ones you know the Kevin Pritchards of the world they're lifelong learners you know and and myself I'm I'm in I've been in the NBA I think 14 years or have been in the NBA for 14 years and uh, every year I'm at scout school I learn and I, and I, I don't know uh, necessarily uh, I'll go into it thinking that uh, you know I'm gonna learn from a certain person but you always learn and and it's it's pretty fun it's, it's a lot of fun Pete has scouting become more difficult here as players must stay in college at least a year and then so many teams are looking more and more it seems like to draft on potential well, you know, the analytic model, Scott, is that the younger has more uh, room to develop into a player. And, uh, you know, with, with the way the rule is now, you know, there's going to be hundreds of guys that test, test the market. And, you know, teams just have to be prepared. Now, here's the interesting part. Uh, you know, people, everybody put their name in, but it didn't really change the rankings of, of uh how how teams evaluated um, teams are prepared you know they they've seen everybody now you, you now you you know you want to make sure everyone's on the list now versus saying well this guy's probably not going to answer so let's not rank him everyone's on the list and you evaluate uh, in that direction and then you know it, it, it usually weeds itself out cream rises and then. You know, some guys will help themselves, but the, the, the real tricky part becomes when the uh, younger, talented freshman, let's say, keeps his name in the draft and you weren't expecting him to because he's probably not a first-round pick. He's going to be a second-round pick, but he's got a lot of talent, and he could be a future first-round pick, and what do you do? And now, at that point, you start figuring out, what his ceiling is. Is he a future starter? Is he a future rotation guy? Well, if you can get a future starter in the second round, you're going after him. This is how it goes. And if you can get a future rotation guy in the second round, chances are you're going to be maneuvering through the draft and trying to figure out a way how to get get that talent. Can you explain what being a year-round scout 
for a team is like. I think some may think, oh, the last couple of months before the draft, you guys get together and organize your binders. No, you guys are meeting several dozens of times throughout the year. And guys that may be in the draft this year, you probably knew about a couple of years ago. <laughs> it's called not having a life. That's what, <laughs> that's what it is. Uh, it's, it's, there's some challenges to it. It's a, it's a great life, but it's also challenging. You have to sacrifice a lot. You have to sacrifice family, friends, time, but there's perks too. Obviously, yeah. You said you were out on the road, right? Two hundred plus days. Two hundred. I think I averaged two hundred and two hundred and ten to two hundred and twenty for the last fourteen years. Oh my goodness! There there were there were periods of five years I don't even remember. (laughs) So, uh, but you know, there's there's some positive to it too. I don't want to sit here and, and and crush it because the camaraderie of staffs. The last staff I was on was awesome uh, in Indiana. They, you know, the scouts there, just everyone, good people, and uh, I enjoyed being around them. So, uh, you know, that that's part of it that's fun. You get in a room, you put some video on, and you start evaluating and, and, and you know, comparing and debating. And uh, But a life of a scout is... Uh, you know, there's there's certain periods of the year it gets really really busy, and then it gets a little slower. But you you have to stay on top of your information because in our our business, inf- good information wins. And the more information Kevin Pritchard can get uh, to to run that team and be prepared on draft night, be prepared for free agency, the better the team is going to be. And that's kind of our job as scouts. We're really information collectors. I know at that TPG Sports Group Pro Scout School, the room has just been packed the last couple of years. This year, you have guys like Kevin Pritchard, the Pacers GM, David Blatt, the former Cavs coach, Chad Ford, previous Rockets interim coach J.B. Bickerstaff, Bill Baino. What's the biggest misconception as being a scout that you're trying to get across to some of these aspiring scouts? Well, that's a great question. Um, misconception, I really don't know. I, you know, Scott, it's... It's probably not as glamorous as as what people would think because of the demand of of travel. Because here's the deal: okay, say you're on a, a two week scouting trip and you're bouncing around and you're seeing games and you're doing reports and you're meeting with people and you're doing your job. Well, you come home from two weeks and that's that's a heck of a, a trip and you want a little rest, but. <laughs> really can't you got to start preparing your next trip you might have a day or two maybe three days home if you're lucky and you got to get your reports in and staying on the phone and and then prepare your next trip so it's a grind you know there's some positives to it like i said you're seeing the world you're meeting people you're watching basketball and getting paid for it but it's a grind it's a major major sacrifice you're obviously racking up airline miles but do you even have any time to then use them i do now yeah, right. But it, but back rolling as a scout for 14 years, I got to imagine you just stocked up on airline miles. Yeah, especially with the international stuff. At one point, I was I was uh, I was going over about 11 times a year abroad, and uh, and then doing even some domestic travel. And um, yeah, I was probably in a couple million airline miles at one point. Oh my goodness. Yeah. When you're at a typical game or practice, if you will, overseas evaluating guys, what's a typical basketball report that you're filling out, filing into the system for one of your previous teams that you worked with? Are you writing down pros, cons, things you need to work on, things you talk to him about or his coaches? Could you lay out for me just kind of the things you're writing down and then even going back to over the next couple of years to add and subtract to that report? 
Sure. You know, I, I, I won't uh, uh, mention the, the, the last team I worked for. I don't, I don't think that's necessarily appropriate. But uh, before that, when I was in Minnesota and Dallas, it, and some of it's similar, you know, but basically scouts have a process where they, they, they rank a bunch of characteristics, uh, you know, and, and you do uh, uh, strengths and weaknesses. And then you write a you write a little report on on what he did possibly in that game. However, you want to focus uh, on what he can do as a player and what he can't do. You know, for me, I was always focusing on um, what's what NBA skill did he have and where he would show weakness on an NBA floor and if that would be exploited or not. Uh, because at some point, your coach has to look down the down the bench and check a guy in the game. And our NBA spacing is is pretty significant with uh, the size, the length, the speed, uh, the skill, and then the the island that players are on often because of the illegal defensive rules. And so, um, and then and then you try to you try to uh, uh, figure out what level these players are going to peak at. Are they are they future all stars? Are they future starters? Are they future rotation guys? Are they fringe guys with the arrow going up to where maybe, you know, what, when they figure out what his work ethic is like or what his motor is like or what, he, what his internal makeup is, is he a guy that can make it into a rotation guy? Let's keep our eye on him very closely as he goes to the D-League or he goes abroad, and, and you continue to, the evaluation process. Just because a guy doesn't make the league doesn't mean you write him off. There's a, you know, a constant flow of, of info and intel going on every year. And even more info is desired now that most of the NBA teams, including the Pacers, have their own D-League team. And so they're not only looking to fill out a Pacers roster or or their NBA team roster, but also their D-League roster. Yes, correct. And I I think it's – I love that system. I really do. I think the D-League – I think it was long overdue. It it is. And, and, uh, you know, it's it's great that the Pacers have one now. I was a little bit uh, involved in the process when, when it when it went down, and I was in a couple of the meetings, and um, I, I thought uh, I thought it was a great thing, and, and it will continue to be a great thing. And then, you know, the Pacers used uh, used it uh, qu- quite a bit, I believe, sending sending guys down and back up and getting their reps. And um, but and what's great about the Pacers situation with Fort Wayne is it's so close. I mean that is a huge benefit where you can drive and the coaching staff can come down to to Indy and be around and, and things like that because there are some D League situations where it's not drivable it's a flight and that that becomes you know challenging but I think the Indiana situation is perfect for you guys up there is the next step getting reasonable salaries because I don't think people realize those D League salaries for most of them are not for a ton of money. Sure, you know that's a that's a challenge, and I and I can't obviously can't speak on behalf of the league. I don't know I don't know what the next steps are, but I, I would think that that would be uh, you know of a concern knowing knowing where the salaries are at right now, you know. But you could look at it the other way and say you're the closest thing to an NBA contract. You know, it's it's a little bit of a sacrifice that you make versus being in you know China or being in. Uh, you know, Croatia and trying to play and, and stay on the radar. Yeah, and, and why I bring that up is you got, we're about a month out from the draft, and there's guys that on paper, especially underclassmen, that seem like they're D League bound or they'd have to be willing to go overseas. And there's more money to be made overseas, but that's more difficult, I think, for them to accept. 
It is. You know, the world's shrinking, and so yeah, there's so many relationships now around the world, and, and, you know, guys can pick up the phone and, and, and call people in almost every country now and, and, and get to some information. Like, don't forget, you know, uh, you know, Italy is probably the size of North Carolina, you know, so it's, it's uh, you know, one person should generally knows like that six degrees of separation. One, <laughs> you know, person in Italy probably knows the right people to get get you some info so it, it's uh it's doable and it's it's a good formula right now i think i think it'll continue to work pete i did want to get back to your pro scout school july 11th through the 13th out in vegas and part of that you have various experiences there's a gm experience or a president ceo leadership experience media broadcasting that would obviously fit me but also uh, that gm experience sounds great as well plus sales and marketing so much of that goes in to working in a team, and I know Kevin Pritchard's big on those aspiring to work for NBA teams to go down to the D-League and do everything before moving up and really have a good understanding of things. Which one of those has really uh, surprised you with the interest and those signing up for it? Well, the, the GM experience, it, it just blows everything away. It's already sold out, and, and, which is it's just crazy. That's outstanding. Months before. I know, and, and, and I get it, I get it, and it's, you know, people, I guess the hardest, if you look at it like this, the hardest thing to get in front of, or the hardest people to get in front of is probably an NBA general manager. Where can you get in front of two GMs in one room and have only 20 attendees in that room? You know, Scout School will have a couple hundred attendees, but these, these experiences are very exclusive. It's only for 20 attendees, and there's an application process, and, and we go through the whole thing to... Uh, you know, make sure the people that are eligible for these are, are given a real opportunity to 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 meet these people and, and hopefully grow into something. And then, but you know, it's funny because the, the sales and marketing, yeah, it's on the business side and it's not on the uh, basketball side. But to me, that's the fastest way in because you know the sales job they turn over and there's uh, there's a, they're always looking for good salespeople and. Uh, that hasn't had the most traction as of out of all of them. But Interesting. It, it's you know it is what it is, and and uh, but we're still we're still getting a lot of applications rolling in, and things are really good. We're excited. I mean, there's some really uh, experienced people uh, from Scott O'Neill, Ryan Tanky, and uh, Fran Fraschilla, Chris Farrow, who's a coordinating producer for ESPN, you know, and Bob Hamer, who's sports business solutions president. He doesn't work for an NBA team, but he runs a, a, a business where he basically looks for very good salespeople, talented sales executives, and gets them interviews, not just in basketball, but multiple sports. And uh, he's coming to speak at the uh, sales and marketing experience. So, man, if I was in sales and I was looking to break in, that's where I would be going right away. And you don't need to hit on this, but I will. Part of the Pacers' four-headed monster, Peter Dinwiddie, got his law degree and wanted to work in sports so much that he started with the Pacers and their only job opening was sales. He killed it. Donnie Walsh found out that he had someone in sales with a law degree, and that's kind of how he got his career jump-started. When it comes to this this pro scout school and everything you do with TPG, putting on specifically the event come July – what kind of work does that take into? Because you got a terrific lineup. You'll have great giveaways and stuff for everyone involved. 
obviously the the setup in Vegas and tying it in with the summer league over there in Vegas seems like a, a challenging job, but also a good task for those trying to learn more about the business. Like you said, that you hired a couple people away from the scout school. Yeah, no question. Uh, just to re- rewind about uh, thirty seconds of Peter Dinwiddie getting in th- that way. That that's exactly uh, what we what we encourage uh, at scout school. You know. Peter obviously is really talented and, 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 and has learned the cap and is basically the cap specialist now for the Pacers and does a really good job. Uh, but his, his route was, wasn't the conventional route, and, and it's possible for people, and that's what we, the message we send. Uh, we had a call this morning about you know, a guy asking about media broadcasting. He said, well, I, I doubt I can be on air next year. I said, no, of course you can't. But if you meet Chris Farrell and Fran, you're going you're gonna to get the right information. On <laughs> I know Chris Farrell's the guy everybody in this broadcasting business wants to meet. I know that. Right. <laughs> and you're going you're gonna, to you know, learn from them. And then you're going to, if they like you or you have some synergy from there, it's who knows what can happen. But it's, it's really you've got to start somewhere. And you have to, the relationship piece has to be started and, and set in place. And then you have to foster that and, and be genuine and do what you do as a person. But back to your question, um, regarding the work and, and the, the prep leading up to it. Our days right now, there's five of us in here right now. We have three full-time employees and two seasonal interns, and we're going through the process of we're continuing to market. We're, we're developing our partnerships with different uh, companies that want to you know, participate with, with sponsorships and partnerships, and then we're, you know, we're setting, setting up our, our social and making sure that's handled the right way out there, and we're doing our swag bag and our giveaways, and we try to make the experience as fun as possible, but as educational as possible. And then we want to make sure when people walk away from the event, they're really, really happy. Either they've learned a lot, they've connected with people. And when I say connected, you know, I, I think the word networking is often misused or overused i believe it's really making a connection with people because that's what matters you know you can network to the cows come home but if you haven't made a real connection with somebody where there's some trust built then it really can't go any further and so i love when i see people get opportunities we have some testimonials on our side and we're putting more up soon of people that have gotten some opportunities in the nba or other areas and then one of the greatest compliments we got last year was Hey Pete, thank you so much. Uh, it was I would have paid so much more for this now that I realize how much I got out of it. <laughs> that but has to make you feel happy. Oh, it made me yeah. feel great. But then he said this, and then he said, "But more importantly, I realized I have no chance of becoming a scout." <laughs> and you know what? That's and, and so that's incredibly valuable. Five, maybe ten years of chasing something that I don't really want to get into, and that that's helpful too. Absolutely, that's incredibly valuable. I know I don't want to do this. I know it's not for me. Now I can move on. I can put it past me. No question. Well, Pete, I really appreciate you taking some time here this afternoon to talk about your role as a scout, everything that goes into it, obviously the airline miles that you log, but also the TPG Sports Group, your pro scout school, and how people can go to tpgsportsgroup.com to sign up for your pro scout school July 11th through the 13th. I hope we can do this again soon and talk about several other subjects, Pete. Thanks, Scott. Appreciate you having me. Now, that was a fun podcast with Pete. I appreciate him taking time out of his busy schedule as he's, what, a little over a month to go before the annual Pro Scout School out in Las Vegas. My shout-out to this week goes to 
one of the best. Stephanie White, the 1995 Indiana Miss Basketball, the Purdue National Champion, former Indiana Fever player, one-time assistant coach at Ball State, Kansas State, Toledo, Fever assistant coach, Fever associate head coach, Fever head coach, and now Vanderbilt head coach. This is a huge deal for Stephanie White. Vanderbilt was her number two option coming out of high school, but she decided that Purdue was in her best interest. They went on in 1999 to win the national championship in her senior season, and then she's had a terrific career both in coaching and in broadcasting ever since. Stephanie will finish out the WNBA season before moving on full-time, and she's getting a six-year deal. That's stability that they don't have in the WNBA. That'll do it for this episode of the Vigilant Sports Pacers podcast. Thanks for listening. Please leave a review if you have a minute, and I'll talk to you again next week.